Welcome, fellow beer connoisseur, to Beer Tasters, a podcast dedicated to the enjoyment of one of life's true pleasures, beer. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. And I'm Nikki Starwalker. Today, we'll tell you about a couple delightful beers that you've got to try. Cheers! Hello, listener. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to episode 13 of Beer Tasters. Welcome to the season one finale episode. Yeah. And welcome to the show, Nikki. Hi. I'm really excited to be doing this episode today. How about you, Nikki? Oh, yeah. I'm drinking a favorite. Oh, awesome. So we have a couple beers we're going to talk about like normal, and then we're going to talk a bit about glassware. And like I said, this is the last episode of season one. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be back with season two. And in season two, we're going to start talking more about the science of beer and the art of beer. How is beer made? What are the ingredients? How can you homebrew? All kinds of stuff like that. But we're still going to be drinking beer too. Right, Nikki? (laughs) Definitely. So Nikki, do you want to go first and tell us about what you're drinking today? I would love to. Today I am drinking a beer made by Krabby's and Krabby's is in the UK. Um, We have had, Lex, you and I, have had Krabby's original alcoholic ginger beer before. Yes, love it. Yes, we find it absolutely delightful. And so when I saw this version um, of their their ginger beer on the shelf, I had to grab it. I am drinking Krabby's Spiced Orange Alcoholic Ginger Beer. And I have found that there's some debate online um, among beer drinkers and maybe beer connoisseurs, if you will. Okay. As to whether or not this is actually beer. So I don't want to get into the whole debate, but I just want to make that footnote that uh, if you're really picky, you know, you might not consider this beer, but I personally do. Well, technically, cider isn't beer, right? Yes. Yeah. And and we would talk about cider on this show. Right. Yeah. Same deal. Fuck it. (laughs) That's right. Same deal. If you are uptight about rules, you know, I don't know. Drink more beer. (laughs) You'll loosen up over time and then you won't care. (laughs) That's right. All right. So this spiced orange ginger beer is 4.8% alcohol by volume. Not very strong. They say to serve it over ice. Usually I don't. um, Yeah. You know, just what the because, fuck is that? Right. I, I usually don't want to water down my beer, but um, but I can understand why uh, they say it's serve over ice because it is delicious ice cold, but it does not need to be ice cold. It, it will still be good when it's warmer. Um, they also suggest serving it with a slice of orange, but I'm just in the habit of keeping fruit out of my beer. Um, yeah. Yeah, not, and I'm not, you know, saying you shouldn't put fruit in beer, but I'm I'll say used it. To. <laughs> you shouldn't put fruit in your beer, people. Well, I'm used to saying, okay, if you if you have to put a lemon in your beer, maybe your beer's not so fresh. Exactly. <laughs> so, or just not that good. Right. Yeah, and that's not the case in this this beer. I think that it would be delicious with some fruit in it too. But today, I'm drinking it um, over ice, just to to be adventurous here, and it is so yummy it's definitely a sweet beer 
Um, and yes, you do taste the ginger pretty strongly. Love me some ginger. Yeah, I love that about it. And this one also, you can taste the orange. Um, it doesn't overpower the ginger to me, although the ginger profile is going to be uh, a more subtle than the original ginger beer version. And when I sip it, I get vanilla tastes and maybe even some clove taste. Okay. Yeah, it's really, really yummy. I highly suggest it for anyone who wants to try something a little different. And Krabby's has kind of an interesting history. I know this isn't a history podcast, but it started with a Scottish merchant named John Krabby. And he actually set sail and imported ginger from the Far East in the early 1800s and is said to have created Krabby's original alcoholic ginger beer. The recipe is actually a closely guarded secret. It has four secret ingredients. And they actually take the ginger with these ingredients and steep it for around six to eight weeks. And then it's combined with orange extract to give me this beer, the spiced orange beer. So really good. If you're into hard liquor at all, their website has some cocktails that you can make with this uh, ginger beer. And so you can go check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes for everyone. But yeah, really yummy. Lex, do you want to come have a sip? Fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's delightful. I'm actually torn whether I like that the same or more than their um, just their regular ginger beer. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. (laughs) They're both really good. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I had to had to choose. I don't know. Depends on my mood. Yeah. What are you drinking today, Lex? Well, first of all, before we go into my beer, I just wanted to uh, mention that we talked about a beer a while ago. It was a dogfish head uh, piercing pills, which was a pear pilsner. Remember that one? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I follow Dogfish Head on Google Plus and Twitter. Um, I think it was on Google Plus. They posted an idea for a mixed drink where you take that that pear pilsner, their piercing pills, and you put in, I think it's a shot of vanilla vodka mm-hmm. and then a splash of cranberry juice. Mm-hmm. And that just sounds delicious. We we haven't tried that yet, but it, it made me think of it when you were when you were talking about making cocktails with the with the crabbies. So so that's a thing too, like making cocktails with with beer how interesting yeah it is interesting to me as well because i've never tried it before but the recipe that they have for this uh spiced orange beer is a orange punch so it has rum gin gin and vodka in it yum yeah it could be good you can't go wrong with gin and vodka i'm just saying (laughs) pour me the clears So, yeah, and, you know, something really interesting here in Indiana, a big thing seems to be mixing beers, which, uh, you know, we went to a ton of bars when we were in Seattle and we never really saw much mixing of beers. Mm -mm. But here, almost any bar you go to that has a decent craft beer selection, they'll have like a whole list of mixes that they've come up with, you know, some of this and some of that mixing beer together. Yeah. So um, I know the brewers do it, you know, and and they've I've had some amazing beers that are, you know, mixes of of different beers. But having the bartender do it at the tap, I'm I'm 
I don't know about that. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing to have the person that actually made the beer right, exactly. and brewed the beer mixing it um, with another beer that they know all the ingredients of, you know, and they can know how the flavors are going to play off of each other. But right. just at the tap saying, oh, try this one with this one. I don't know about that. Yeah. I haven't tried one. Uh, because I'm like, you know, these are good beers. Why would you mix them? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. It, it might just be an Indiana thing. People here aren't, you know, the sharpest tools in the shed always. So, oops, did Lots. I say that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my beer, um, I'm having another Lagunitas tonight. And I am having one of their beers called the Harry Eyeball Ale. I was having a problem. We went to our new liquor store this down the street and pretty much I have had every beer that they have that I'm remotely interested in trying. It seemed when they first opened and we went in there, it seemed like they had a pretty good selection. But now that we've shopped there a little bit, the thinness <laughs> of their selection is showing through because they always get the same things. You know, we're used to beer stores in the Seattle area, like Beer Authority is one we're a huge fan of. Where like every time you go in there, there's different stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're constantly yeah. getting new things in and different things in. And the liquor stores here in Indiana, they just get the same shit every week. Like right. The same exact things. And and so you go to a given store three or four times and you've you've seen everything and you've you've tried everything that you're interested in trying. And it's just more of the same. So I was having a hard time finding something to drink on the show that I hadn't because I wanted to try to find something I hadn't had before. Mm hmm. So I got this Lagunitas beer um, and I was actually not really wanting to do another Lagunitas beer because I just did Lagunitas. This is the third Lagunitas beer we've done this season. Wow. But it was the only thing I could find that I hadn't had that I thought would had a decent chance of being decent because I don't want to talk about beers I don't like on the show. Right. And then come to find out, like, I've actually had it. Because oh. <laughs> you said on the way home, you're like, oh, we had that and blah, 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 blah. And I looked in uh, Untapped and sure enough, I, I had it. I gave it three out of five stars. Mm-hmm. And so this is my second time having it. And I agree with my three out of five stars rating. However... They classify this as a strong American ale. Mm-hmm. If you are into this kind of beer, then I think it's easily a four out of five stars. So, you know, it lost a star for me just because it's not necessarily my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but it's still a really good beer. It's a dark beer. It's very sweet. It almost has this kind of almost caramely like candy syrup kind of flavor yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very malty, and if you've had barley wines, it's kind of like the little brother of a barley wine, or not a barley wine. I'm sorry, I'm uh, a Bach. A Bach, okay. It kind of reminds me of a Bach, but it's like a Bach's little brother. It's not really a Bach. It's not like all the way there, hmm. but it's similar. It's got that sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's very complex in flavor, like. The, the first thing that hits you is there's that kind of caramely candy sweetness to it. Um, but then kind of underneath that, there's the dark roasted malt flavor, mm-hmm. almost like a coffee flavor to it. I'm like taking sips because it's like so complex <laughs> that I'm having to take a sip every every sentence to like try to put a pin on it. And, and plus, right. you know, this isn't the type of beer I normally drink. So it's really hard for me to describe it because I'm not, you know, if this were... 
you know, more of a style that I'm used to, you know, that I can compare it with other things. Right. It's not terribly bitter. In, in fact, I don't get bitter at all. Um, there must be just enough bitterness to balance some of the sweetness. It just, it's very sweet. Um, I don't really get much or any hoppiness from it. And I think it was just last week I said that Lagunitas has this kind of signature hop flavor in every one of their, their beers. And this one does not have that. So I was wrong. <laughs> not all of their beers have this have that because this one does not. Do you want to try it, Nikki? Maybe you sure. you drink more darker beers. Maybe you can better uh, express <laughs> things about this beer because I feel like I'm failing miserably. No, I think you did a pretty good job with it. And I believe that what happened was that I got this beer just on a whim. And that's probably why you don't remember reviewing it, because you had just a, a few sips of it. Oh, so you got this beer. Yeah, okay. yeah. That explains it. And I agree with my original review of okay. three stars out of five as well, because it's just too sweet for me. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's very sweet. It has a strong multi aroma. And it is pretty well carbonated. Um, the color, I don't know if you mentioned, but it's an amber, reddish color to me. Uh, yeah, if you hold it up to the light, but it's a dark. It almost looks like plum, almost. It's not quite plum. It's like a dark red. Yeah, definitely. And I can taste the strength in it. How strong did you say this one was? I didn't say, but it is 9.1% uh, ABV. Okay. Okay, yeah, I, for some reason I can taste that. And it's got an IBU of 56.66 and an original gravity of 1.090. And I think, personally, I think if the ABV on this crawled up towards 11, 12%, I think I would really like this. But as it is, it's a little too sweet for me. I think mm -hmm. if they fermented it a little longer and fermented, you know, some of that... Uh, some of that sweetness, some of that sugar into alcohol and, and got us up to like a 11, 12% alcohol. I, I think it'd be pretty good. But again, you know, you'd be into um, Bach territory then, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. There's nothing wrong with this. It's very, what's the word? Inoffensive. That doesn't sound like a compliment, but, no. it, but it's very, um, like there's nothing bad about this beer. There's no off flavors. It's well balanced. It's a little, you know, on the sweet side. It does not, to me, it does not really taste like I can tell it's a 9% alcohol beer just because I drink so many of them, but it's not like knock you over alcoholic tasting. Um, probably because it's so sweet. Mm -hmm, so yeah, it's a, it's a good beer. And, you know, I've said that I've not had a Lagunitas beer I didn't like. And they're still holding out. I mean, this isn't my favorite. It's not really my cup of tea. But I gave it three out of five stars, which for me is a pretty good rating. Yeah, that's not bad. Untapped has a five-star system. So for me, one star is like, I would not get this again. Mm -hmm. Two stars is, you know, if it were the choice between this beer and one of the big three, I would totally drink this beer. <laughs> and then three stars is, you know, it's good. This is this is a good beer, you know? Yeah. And then once you get into four stars, you're getting into, like, I really like this beer. I would totally buy this beer again and again and again. Okay. Um, a three star is kind of like, well, if there's a four or a five star, I'm going for that. But if not, I'll be happy to drink that, that three star. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, if I'm drinking a two-star, then I'm starting to get a little unhappy, and I'm like, maybe we should go somewhere else. Right. We've only got two-star <laughs> beers here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those are our beers, and now we're going to talk about glassware. So I got to give a major plug to a book that we're using for a source for this. We had a listener that asked us to talk about glassware, and this is a great topic. Glassware is really important, and it's really fun. It's a fun part of the beer hobby, and it's something that Nikki and I really enjoy. We, we have a bit of a, a glass collection. And I think the only reason we don't have a bigger collection is because we've been moving so much lately. Yeah. <laughs> but once we uh, put down roots, uh, oh, yeah. we go back to Seattle, we're going to we're gonna be getting all kinds of glasses. <laughs> Definitely. I already have a few in mind. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. The book that we are referencing for this is a book called Tasting Beer, An Insider's Guide to the World's Greatest Drink by Randy Mosher. And if you are new to beer, to craft beer, if you're listening to this show and you're digging like what we're talking about and you want to learn more, this is the book you want. This is an amazing book. It tells you all about beer. It tells you about the history of beer, the different countries that beer comes from and what kind of beer they make. Kind of the bread and butter of this book is it tells you about the different styles of beer. So, you know, when we talk about IPAs and pale ales and ESBs and and things like that, like this goes into what that means and, you know, what makes an ESB an ESB and and stuff like that. Really great stuff. Awesome stuff. I love this book. Yes, me too. And it's put in such a way that it's easy to understand everything. He's not going to say anything that's going to go right over your head or try to use fancy lingo that you'll only know if you're some kind of beer geek. Um, so I really like it too. Yeah, totally. Um, the cover price on this book is sixteen ninety five, And if you go to your Barnes and Noble or whatever your local bookstore is, chances are really good that they'll have this. Like this is... You know, if you ask 10 beer people, you know, what's a good book I should buy? Probably every one of them will. This will be one of the books that they tell you to buy. Um, You can get this on Amazon right now for like less than $10. It's like nine something. Oh, wow. And I will have this linked in the show notes. And if you would be so kind as to use that link, we will get a little kickback to the studio uh, for referring you to Amazon. But this is this is an awesome book. Uh, if you go to like your homebrew store, they'll probably have this book if you want to kind of flip through it to see what's in it first before you buy it. Um, or like I said, if you go to any bookstore, they'll probably have it. All right. This is starting to sound like a commercial for this book. <laughs> well, we really like it. <laughs> well, yeah. And I want to give props because everything right. we're about to tell you is coming out of this book. Yeah. So I want to give my citations. Definitely. But before we go into specific types of glass, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about why your glass matters. Okay. And and I am just kind of summarizing and paraphrasing from the book here. Again, there's a lot more information in this book if you want to learn more about this. But the shape of your beer glass affects the presentation of the beer. It affects the way it looks, the way it smells, and the way it tastes, believe it or not. Usually you want a clear glass. That's usually the best because that's going to display the color of the beer without 
changing it in any way. Mm-hmm. Also, the feel of the glass is important. Like you want to be able to hold on to your beer, right? You don't want to drop it. So larger glasses often require a handle. Some glasses will have stems that can achieve a similar function as a handle, which is to basically give you a good way to hold on to your beer and allow you to do so without warming the beer up with your body heat too much. Yeah. So one of the important parts of the beer glass is the top of the beer glass. A top that is narrower than the middle of the glass helps to hold in the aroma. If you think about a red wine glass, <laughs> you know how it gets wider in the middle and then it comes together at the top and the top is more narrow. Mm-hmm. If you have a beer glass that's shaped more like that, that narrow top helps to hold in the aroma. So when you go to take a sip, you know, the aroma hits you and it's not just spreading out all over the room. Okay. The taper of the top of the glass uh, interacts with the foam or the head of your beer. So if you have a glass that tapers out, then that helps provide support to the foam. Whereas if you have a top that tapers in, as you pour the beer, that kind of forces the head in on itself as you fill it. And this concentrates the foam and results in a denser and creamier head. Any soap or oils that are left inside the glass can actually degrade the structure and the formation of the foam. Uh, The foam of your beer is forming at what they call nucleation sites, which are microscopic rough spots in the glass that are formed by dirt or scratches in the glass. And this can actually be a good indicator of an improperly cleaned glass. So if you're in a bar and you get a beer and you look at your beer and you see that there's certain points of the glass where there's like a lot of bubbles like coming out of that point, Mm -hmm. that could be a sign that that glass wasn't washed very well. And you might want to point that out to your bartender and ask for a new beer in this time in a clean glass, please. (laughs) Sometimes nucleation sites are added intentionally. So what a lot of breweries that make their own or have their own glassware is a lot of times they'll use a laser to engrave their logo in the bottom of the glass. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it gives us one of these nucleation sites. And if you look at a glass like that, like if you ever drink Sam Adams from an actual Sam Adams glass, their glasses are like that. And you'll see these tiny little bubbles coming up from that logo. And that steady stream of those tiny bubbles continuously replenishes the head and it also disperses the aroma of the beer and it looks cool and it looks cool that's right (laughs) so the foam of your beer actually has a dramatic effect on the way the hop flavor manifests in your beer so the bitter compounds of the the hop flavor actually tend to preferentially migrate to the head of your beer and there's chemical reasons for that I'm not going to go into. So the foam of your beer might actually taste quite a bit more bitter than the beer itself. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. And then the next thing I want to cover before we go into the different glasses is how to properly pour a beer. So the proper way to pour a beer from a bottle into your glass is to pour it straight down the middle of an upright glass. So this pouring down the side of the glass, that's Mm -hmm. for sissies. And that results in a too gassy beer with little aroma and a poor, quickly dissipating head. On the other hand, a vigorous pour, pouring down to the center of the glass, will create a lot of foam. And this is actually good because when the foam settles, 
you'll have a head that will be dense and long-lived. It's also important to release some of the carbonation in bottled beer because bottled beer is actually over-carbonated compared to beer on tap, which is why if you have a favorite beer that you drink out of the bottle and you go have it on tap, it tastes a little different. Mm -hmm. It's because your bottled beer is over-carbonated. So if there's too much carbonation, too much fizz in your beer, then it's going to mask more subtle flavors from the hops and aromas and things like that. So, you know, you want to do a vigorous pour and let the beer settle down as many times as you need to fill your glass. So, you know, you may pour and it may foam up to the top and you just let it settle and then you pour some more. And the book talks about, you know, there are places in Europe where, you know, if you order a beer and you get it like too quickly, people don't like that because it means you didn't pour the beer correctly. Like it should take a few minutes to pour a beer. (laughs) People get suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you're drinking a highly carbonated beer like a Bavarian Hefeweizen or Belgian ales, you may want to actually rinse your glass first with clean water, which is the trick that Nikki taught me. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it reduces the surface tension and controls the foam. So if you do the the pour, like I said, with like a Hefeweizen, which is what you're supposed to do, and you don't rinse the glass first, like you're going to have like an inch of beer and the rest of the glass is foam. Oh yeah, the hefts are crazy. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, if you're, Using glasses for the specific beers that you'll notice that like a glass for like a Bavarian Hefeweizen or a Belgian Triple are often twice as big as they need to be. And that's to accommodate the foam during pouring. And one last note is that normally if you buy like a craft beer or a homebrew or something like that, you're going to have a yeast in the bottom of your bottle. Like if you look at the beer, if you hold it up to light, you'll see like some sediment at the bottom of the bottle. For most beers, when when you pour, you want to try to keep that in the bottle so you don't want to pour the last little bit of your beer. But one exception to that is wheat beers where the yeast is actually part of the flavor. So like a, a Hefeweizen, you actually want to swirl that yeast into the beer when you pour it. Mm, yummy. Yeah, so, so that's all of that. So now, Nikki, you can go into the first... The first glass, which is actually the worst glass <laughs> to drink your beer out of. I get to cover the worst one, yeah. but we're, we'll get it out of the way. This one is probably the most common, and you have probably drank out of it before. It is the shaker pint glass. Yes. And this is a standard in the U.S. Um, it's definitely not recommended for stronger or more exotic specialty brews. And it's actually called the shaker glass because it was originally used in combination with a metal cup as a cocktail shaker. So it wasn't even for beer and it wasn't (laughs) even meant to have any liquid that somebody would be drinking out of it. Right, right. (laughs) You're not even supposed to use it as a cup. Um, So they were used in the 1980s for craft beers, and it just kind of stuck because you can get a lot of beer in there, but it's not attractive or flattering to the flavor or aroma of beer, and just don't use it. (laughs) Yeah, and and if you're wondering, well, what is the shaker glass? It's very like a cone-shaped glass, and it's if, if you imagine... Nine out of 10 beers that you've gotten in a bar, it was probably in a shaker glass, unfortunately. And what amazes me is it's one thing to go to some dive bar that serves like Bud Light, 
you know, and get your Bud Light in a shaker glass. But what amazes me is you go to some bar with like 21 taps or whatever, and they'll give you like this Belgian ale or, well, actually, usually they won't do it with a Belgian ale, but, but they'll give you some like American IPA or something in one of these terrible glasses. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's just a little <laughs> sad because I know I'm not going to get the full effect or uh, taste it as the original brewer wanted me to taste it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the reason that they use them is one, they're cheap. (laughs) They're super cheap to buy. Yeah. And two, they stack. Ah. So most of the, actually all of the glasses that are actually good for beer, you can't stack them. Where Mm. these glasses, you can stack them, so. And they seem more durable because they're just so thick. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us about our next glass, Lex. All right. So our next glass is is a little bit of an upgrade from the Shaker Pint. This is the English Tulip Pint. So this is another 20th century glass. Um, this one is used a lot for Irish stouts. To try to describe it, it has the same basic shape as the Shaker glass, but it ha- it's a little narrower at the bottom, and then it has kind of a curve up to the top. We're going to have images of all these in the show notes mm-hmm. because some of these are kind of hard to describe, you know, what they look like. Yeah. So head on over to the show notes at starwalkerstudios.com and you can see see pictures of all these. For sure. The non-stick pint is our next nonic. one. Oh, nonic. Thank you. <laughs> it, do you think it's nonic or no nick? I have no idea, but I know it's not non-stick. thanks Lex that's uh that's great yep all right (laughs) so I'm gonna go with no nick because it has a bump that keeps the rim from chipping and it makes it easier to hold um for when you're standing up drinking yeah it is used with English ales since the early 1960s and it's also used for low gravity session beers I have definitely been served beer in this one. It's funny because just like I said, it has this little bump towards the top of it. Um, but other than that, it, it looks to me like a shaker pint glass. Yeah, this is probably the second most common glass you will see in bars. Okay. And, uh, it's not really an upgrade other than the fact that maybe it's a little harder or easier to hold, but it's still not doing anything for you as far as the presentation of your beer. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like it would improve the aroma either. All right, so next up we have the Brandy Snifter. So you probably know what a Brandy Snifter is. This glass is good for barley wines and imperial stouts. Mm-hmm. So it has a deep incurved rim and a small stature, so it's not very tall. So it's ideal for serving strong ales because, again, um, the the base of the cup is wider and then the rim is narrower, so it's going to hold in your aroma. This is probably my go-to glass. Like, we have a few different styles here, mm-hmm. and we have some new Belgium glasses that are shaped like this. And okay. this is what I use for, for most things unless... I have something that we have a better glass for. But this is a good, you know, if you're wondering, like, if I'm going to go buy some glasses, what should I get? Right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to get the pint glass. You don't want to get the no-nick pint or the uh, English tulip pint. Like, you don't want those. So <laughs> maybe the snifter, that's a good way to go. Um, as long as you get one that's not, get the right size. There's different sizes. Right. And then this next one that Nikki's going to talk about is another good one also. Yeah, this is the stemmed tulip 
or Poco Grande. I have never heard it called that, but <laughs> sure. A little big. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a glass with a stem, as the name implies. It has an inward taper that holds the aroma, and it has an outward flare that supports the head, and this happens at the top. So it has this nice stem for you to hold it, and also you won't get your beer warm, as Lex hinted at in the beginning. And Randy makes a note in here, in many ways, this is the best of all worlds. And I have to kind of agree with him. Yeah, I really love tulip glasses. And he also makes a note that's kind of interesting. They start to show up in the late 19th century, so they're not terribly old. But yeah, I use the tulip glass for, for a lot. And I really like it. I'm not sure if it's good for IPAs, but I like it for IPAs just because it does hold so much head and I can get that full hop aroma. Personally, I prefer the snifter, but basically the tulip glass is just taking a snifter and adding an outward flare on top. Yeah. That outward flare is nice if you have something, you know, that you need some support on the head. Mm-hmm. But I prefer, you know, holding in the aroma, which it, it does that too because it tapers before the flare. But yeah, if you're going to buy, if you're just like, I want to buy a beer glass, like if, you, if you're if you by yourself and you're <laughs> going to buy like one or two glasses, you know, just to drink beer and you're like, you know, Lex, Nikki, what do I get? You know, this is it. I would get a tulip glass. Do you agree, Nikki? Yeah. If you're going to get one glass. Um, we actually have uh, some Duval tulip glasses which i love the only problem is is there are two different sizes of duval tulip glasses Mm -hmm. and we got the big ones yeah i know (laughs) so they're they're a little big for your standard like 12 ounce beer Mm -hmm. which is why i don't use them as much but you know they're perfect for like a like a larger beer larger beer bottle but if we had the smaller duvals i would probably actually use those all the times and i i probably wouldn't even use the sniffers that we have same here but yeah if you're looking for like you know you don't want to have five different kinds of glasses in your collection you just want one then i would totally go with the the tulip because because like nikki said it has the best of both worlds uh it's going to hold in your aroma it's even going to support your head a little bit for for things that need that and it's got a nice stem to hold it with so you're not warming up your beer all the time which is nice so next we have the tapered pilsner glass And this looks very much like a white wine flute, if you know what that looks like. So this is uh, has a narrow shape that shows off the pale color of a Pilsner. Um, It has the outward tapered shape, which supports the head. The ones that we have and the one illustrated in this book has like a a foot or a base. So you can set it down and it doesn't fall over. (laughs) So so this is good for Pilsners as as is obvious from the the name it's also good for ciders or like your ginger beers or even uh like la- like sweeter lambics like uh like a framboise or a or a peche or a uh creek or something like that mm-hmm. um so they're nice for that the the one kind of drawback for me at least is at least the ones we have is it won't hold an entire 12 ounce beer yeah so you pour your beer and you got a little left over um, but they're, they they look nice and, and they are nice as far as the visual presentation for a Pilsner because Pilsners are so, um, there's not a lot of color to them, mm-hmm. you know, so you put a Pilsner in like a big ass tulip glass and it's just going to not look that great. Yeah, so. I agree. 
And next we have the Weissbier vase. And this is a large size, so it will hold the foam. Um, it has an inward taper to it. And the look of it actually uh, resembles the, uh, what is it, the English tulip pint to me yeah, a bit. but it's taller. Right. It, it looks like it was stretched out. So this one I use, we have one of these and I use it for Hefeweizens. Yeah, we got Eyinger ones. Oh yeah, that's right. That's what it is. And yeah, it's really handy. It has this uh, narrow at the bottom and then it gets wider at the top and you can hold it around the uh, lower to mid section. It, it doesn't have a stem, so I mean, I guess you, you're kind of warming your beer there, but it makes a Hefeweizen look great, and it does support the head with that inward curve. Well, Hefeweizens, you should be drinking those pretty fast anyway, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because they're they're like 5%, you know, mm-hmm. 4 to 5% alcohol, and they're... Um, you know, I guess that's the topic for another day is like how you drink different styles of beers. Right. And, and Hefeweizen's is a beer that, that you can kind of, you know, you can down that baby. You know, it's not like a triple where you're sipping it, you know. Right. Hence, they're served at a lot of soccer games and such. Yeah. Yeah. You slam that bitch back. <laughs> All right. So next we have the, where are we? Bo- Bolique Goblet? That's it. Um, or... As I know them, just a goblet. Right. Uh, so this is, if you think of like what King Arthur's drinking his wine out of, <laughs> you'll have a pretty good idea of what a goblet is, only glass. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, got a stem to it. It's got an inward taper at the top to concentrate your head and your aroma, which I love. Um, and it, it, it says smaller size is great for strong beers, but the one goblet we have is a West Mall goblet. And- <laughs> It's it huge. is not small. <laughs> so these are great for triples, and and it's amazing. We have a goblet, like I said, we have a West Mall goblet. It's got a nice long stem that's just big enough, like for my hand, like I can actually hold the whole stem. Like our uh, our New Belgium sniff snifters and our Duval tulip glasses, the stems are really short, so you can't like get your whole hand in there. I more like kind of hold them like you hold a brandy snifter, mm-hmm. like with the the glass kind of in the palm of your hand kind of thing. Right. But our West Mall goblet, like you can actually grab that stem in your fist and hold it, which is awesome. <laughs> and it's fucking huge. Like you, but you can pour, you know, a 12 ounce beer in there and it's about perfect. But what's amazing to me is I'll get like uh, like New Belgium's triple, mm-hmm. which for an American made triple is it's OK. It's not bad, you know, but it's like the Budweiser of triples. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, it's it's about as low on the ladder as you can go and still be like, OK, this sort of tastes like a triple and I, and I like it. Right. Anything less than that is like I'm not going to drink it. But I tell you what, you drink a New Belgium triple in like, I don't know, like a snifter or a tulip glass. And it's like, it's okay. You put that same triple in a goblet and it's like night and day. It's like way better. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're not just like, this isn't just like mental masturbation or, 
you know, like there, this is real stuff. Like if you drink the right beer in the right glass, it makes a real difference. It makes a difference in how it looks, how it smells and how it tastes. For sure. So yeah, goblets are awesome. If you're a, if you're a fan of triples, you got to have a goblet because <laughs> that's the best way to drink a triple. Yes, I have to agree. Um, although the next glass is a pokel and I have never had anything out of a pokel. Um, mm-hmm. It's for Bach. It's a classic glass to serve Bach in. And it's a small size, so it's great for stronger beer. And this little glass has an outward taper that will support the head. And it has a short little stem. Yeah, it's almost if you picture like a double shot glass with a stem. Yeah. That's kind of what it looks like. Totally, totally. And then we have the uh, updated Pokal, which is the same thing, only it it has an inward taper at the top to uh, concentrate that aroma. And uh, that's another good general purpose glass. But the book says it's good for Belgian style triple, Maybach, and Imperial IPAs. And again, it has that stem to keep you from warming your beer. Yeah, I, I kind of want one now. I'm curious. And then we have the English Dimpled Pint. And this one is used for mild ale and bitter. And um, there is a shortened, wider, handled version of the Pillar Pale Ale glasses um, that became popular in England. And yeah, I, I've never had... No, I take that back. I've had uh, beer in one of these, but it was, it was just a lager. It wasn't uh, anything too exciting. So we don't have one of these, but they look kind of cute. Yeah, it's like a like a mug of beer mm-hmm. and they're yeah. glass and they have these kind of facets cut into the glass. So it gives it this interesting kind of look. Yeah. But as far as like the flavor of your beer, it's like drinking your beer out of a big coffee mug. It's not really, you know, doing much for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the Bavarian Seidel. Sure. Is how I'm going to pronounce that. <laughs> I really want to say Seidel, but I think that would be the Swiss pronunciation. So okay. I'll, I'll stick with the German and be uh, with the more people, I guess. Uh, <laughs> this kind of looks like a Stein, only it's made of glass. Mm-hmm. So if you know what a Stein is, this is a glass Stein. It's basically a big glass mug for your beer. Um, this is good for beers like Pilsner's, Hell's, and Oktoberfest. And yeah, it's just the glass version of the simple stoneware Krug's. Krugs that were used for centuries <laughs> as drinking mugs. I believe this is what I'm using right now for my um, ginger beer. Yeah, kind of a variant. Yours is very tall and thin. Though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, and that was something uh, that's mentioned in this book. I mean, we're giving you a very small part of a large chapter about beer presentation. And something that was mentioned was how. You know, it's only in the last 150 years or so that the average common man was drinking beer out of clear glass. Oh. Because before then, glass was very expensive to make and only the very rich had it. And most people were drinking beer out of like earthenware mugs or even some kind of metal or leather or things like that. So this whole thing of of having your beer in a clear glass where you can see the color is a relatively new thing in the last century and a half. And it's actually, you know, if you want to go into the history of beer, it's interesting how beer changed at that point where people could actually start seeing what it looked like. Suddenly color and clarity, like the clearness of the beer became much more important. Interesting. Yeah. 
All right. So we, I think, have covered the basics of beer glassware. And like I said before, we will have some images in the show notes kind of illustrate what these different types of glasses are in case you weren't totally clear from our fumbling (laughs) descriptions of them. (laughs) But again, if you really want to learn about this, I, I can't recommend enough this tasting beer book by Randy Mosher. Um, where you can learn not only about glassware, but beer styles and beer history and, and all kinds of great stuff. And beer is just this uh, this wonderful thing. Like he says here, you know, the subtitle of the book is An Insider's Guide to the World's Greatest Drink. Yeah. And I completely agree. I mean, for one thing, beer has been around for so long and it's been made in so many different parts of the world independently, you know, and now we're enjoying this time in history where we have all these independent traditions of brewing that are able to come together and compare notes. And, and you know, here in America, we kind of have the melting pot of, of beer traditions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, America is a melting pot in a lot of ways. But when it comes to beer, we totally are because we're taking ideas from, you know, all these European countries and, and beyond. And then, you know, American brewers are, are doing their own crazy things. And it's just a great time to love beer. Definitely. You know, it, it's amazing when you think about it for the vast majority of human history. First of all, for the vast majority of human history, we've had beer, which in and of itself is amazing. And the other thing is, is for the vast majority of human history, all you had was your local beer. You know, wherever right. you lived, you had the beer that people made there and that was it. So you're talking maybe one, maybe two styles of beer was all people had and now i mean i was just bitching at earlier in the show because i've gone to a liquor store you know 10 times and there's nothing i knew now (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean it's so great there's just so much out there there's so much to try nikki and i i mean we've barely hit the tip of the iceberg just on styles that are out there oh yeah i mean we have whole styles we have not covered on this show yet Mm -hmm. like bach Yes, Bach mm-hmm. and ESB. Oh, yeah. And uh, Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. I love Oktoberfest. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a lot still to talk about and, and a lot to cover. So stay tuned for season two of Beer Tasters. Right, Nikki? Yeah, I can't wait. Me neither. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Beer Tasters. Thank you so much for tagging along in our adventure in beer. If you would like to reach us, you can email us at beertasterspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Google+. Plus. Just look for Lex Starwalker. And you can follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker. You can follow me at Nikki Starwalker. Please visit our website, starwalkerstudios.com. And please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash beer tasters, or you can find the link on our website at starwalkerstudios.com. There you can support the show and uh, help us keep beer tasters and Starwalker Studios going strong. Or if you'd prefer, you can make a one-time donation on our website at starwalkerstudios.com. So we like to end the show and we're going to end this season with our beer tasters challenge this week. Try something new. 
Try a beer you've never tried before. If you're feeling especially adventurous, try a style you've never tried before. Right, Nikki? Yeah, and when you do, tweet us or email us. We'd love to hear about your experiences. Yes, absolutely. And totally follow us on uh, Beer Taste or Beer Taster. <laughs> uh, untapped. There you the go. The app. Be our friends. Um, we've got a lot of friends on there. At least I have from from the show. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so so follow us on Untapped, and you can see what we're drinking, and we can see what you're drinking, and we can toast each other, and it'll be awesome. Cheers. Cheers. I got lost. Okay. So until <laughs> next time, I'm Lex Starwalker. And I'm Nikki Starwalker. Enjoy life. And enjoy your beer. Cheers. Cheers. Awesome. Good job. Thank you. This episode's music provided by Kevin McLeod. Please see the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash beer tasters. <laughs>